We've all been there, sitting quietly, feeling really uncomfortable while our co-workers bitch about another colleague. We may want to speak up, stop the conversation or tell them they're wrong, but we feel helpless and worried about saying the wrong thing. It's tempting to think that it doesn't really matter, but this sort of behaviour really undermines trust in an organisation and spreads negativity and bad feeling and it can completely undermine the psychological safety we need to work well as a team. In this episode, I'm joined again by Dr Ed Pooley, who's a GP and specialist in communication and time management, on a brand new regular slot where we answer all your questions about tricky situations at work. So if you've got any questions about how to deal with difficult colleagues, communicate with defensive co-workers, or raise issues with unreasonable bosses or thoughtless partners, then please do send them in. Today, we're thinking about what to do when you hear colleagues backbiting, bitching, or making other inappropriate comments about other people. We think about why it's important to consider the question behind the question and how you can raise concerns without raising heckles. So join us to find out the consequences of ignoring what's going on. Join us to find out how to challenge in a supportive way and join us to find a simple framework for speaking up. Welcome to You Are Not A Frog, the podcast for doctors and other busy professionals who want to beat burnout and work happier. I'm Dr Rachel Morris. I'm a GP, now working as a coach, speaker and specialist in teaching resilience. Even before the coronavirus crisis, we were facing unprecedented levels of burnout. We have been described as frogs in a pan of slowly boiling water. We hardly noticed the extra long days becoming the norm and have got used to feeling stressed and exhausted. Let's face it, frogs generally only have two options. Stay in the pan and be boiled alive or jump out of the pan and leave. But you are not a frog and that's where this podcast comes in. It is possible to craft your work and life so that you can thrive even in difficult circumstances. And if you're happier at work, you'll simply do a better job. In this podcast, I'll be inviting you inside the minds of friends, colleagues and experts, all who have an interesting take on this, so that together we can take back control and love what we do again. Are you constantly stressed and thinking about work? Does your laptop come with you on holiday? Your to-do list have permanent residence in your brain and your worry about how to handle the latest crisis wake you up in the small hours? Then it's time to get your life back and that's exactly what our brand new online course will help you do. It's a 60-minute reset for healthcare professionals to shift your mindset so you can set boundaries and limits around your work without the endless guilt that you've not done enough. It's just £27 and you can get instant access now when you go to shapestoolkit.com slash getyourlifeback. So it's brilliant to have with me on the podcast today, Dr Ed Pooley. Ed, welcome back. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Really great to have you here. Now, we are going to be uh, dealing with some listeners' questions um, today. In fact, these questions that we're going to start off with are questions that have come through your your Facebook group, aren't they, Ed? What's the Facebook group that you run? So I run a Facebook group for health professionals called Difficult Conversations, which is about how we 
use techniques from psychology, business, psychotherapy, and communication skills training to have better relationships with patients and colleagues and communicate more effectively. Fantastic. And I know that's a very active group and you get lots and lots of questions. So we thought, actually, wouldn't it be good to be able to sort of have some discussions about Absolutely. these, get, get, get the wisdom that you're sharing with people out, out to people as a whole. And what we'd like to do is start recording these regularly. So we would love to hear from any listeners who either have questions that they would like us to discuss on the podcast, or if you have any feedback or any suggestions or any things that you've done in your own professional life that have been helpful, we'd, we'd love to hear about, about that. So do email us at hello at youarenotafrog.com and we'd, we'd just love to hear your questions or your comments. So Ed, let's kick off with our first question here. So what do we do if we are in a workplace, be it a surgery or somewhere else where we hear a lot of backbiting amongst the staff about either somebody else or another staff group. And we're listening to it. And I've certainly been in this situation myself and we're starting to feel more and more uncomfortable, but we're not saying anything. We're not challenging, but then we get really worried that by our silence, we could be seen to be colluding. I mean, have you been in that situation? Yeah, I think, I mean, first of all, it's a really good question, isn't it? It's something that we all face and we've all probably had some experience of where you're you're in that situation and there's that that conversation going on either directly towards you where someone is trying to talk about a colleague and almost canvas your opinion or when you're overhearing perhaps two other colleagues talk about someone else and you're you're a bystander so yes I've been in that situation I think that over the last few years my my way of managing that situation has changed because it's often it's often one of those things that's very difficult to challenge if you don't have a strategy for it and if you don't understand the drivers towards it. But it but it is something that you you kind of have to have a strategy to dealing with because many times if you're getting pulled into a conversation where an unseen party is being discussed, an unseen person is being discussed there is the very real risk that you could be accused of colluding with someone who is bullying. And, and that sort of, I mean, it, you know, we do, we do those sort of uh, training videos, don't we, at the start of um, our placements and our jobs where you know, this is a common example in terms of what do you do when you overhear someone talking about uh, a third person that, it, that isn't there. So, yes, it's a very common situation. I think for me, part of me wants to understand why it's happening. Sometimes it's it's a reflection of poorly dealt with way of managing a genuine grievance. So sometimes the, the issue that is being raised is actually a problem, but it's being raised in the wrong way. And sometimes it's being used as almost a way of connecting with another staff member. But again, it's in a way that's not very authentic um you know we and the typical example is it's almost a reflection of that school playground kind of connection oh you know that mr smith was horrible wasn't he that teaching was awful i didn't like the way they did that and it's almost a very childlike way of connecting with others and i think the third time is when it it really is a genuine issue that can lead to some serious consequences And, and and i suppose the examples i can think of there are where there is misogyny involved, where there's racism involved, where there is outright bullying involved, where comments are being made that are about the characteristics of a person rather than about genuine grievances that could be 
dealt with in a different way. So those are the three things I, I would say that I would kind of divide it into. I mean, I don't know whether you would divide it into more or what your take would be on those three three categories. I think those three categories are really, really helpful. I think in real life, it's probably very difficult to determine determine which is which because maybe there is a genuine problem, which is coming out in the wrong way, but there there is a problem. So I think things are rarely really, really black and white, are they? I think that one of the biggest things is actually the connecting with others as well, that mm-hmm. actually we do connect. You know, that's why we love watching soap operas, isn't it? And <laughs> why we've all been glued to Line of Duty, because we just love seeing yeah. things go wrong and be able to talk about the various different characters. So it's sort of a bit of human nature to, to want to discuss things. But how do we know the difference between when it is sort of genuinely letting off steam about something and when you should just let it run and the steam needs to be let off and when it has tipped over into something that is really unhelpful that that we should be challenging i think some of that is gut feel and experience i think you 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 know when something feels awkward or unprofessional or inappropriate i think there's i think there's a there's a difference between saying, oh, that the, the cleaner hasn't picked up that again. Oh, they're not very good, are they? And someone saying that cleaner's not very good. You know, all people of that race are like that. You know, those those kind of where it where it's not about what someone is doing, but about who they are. And that's that that's that difference between commentary and identity kind of level criticism where, where there's a there's an issue. Um I think it's. I think the di- one of the big difficulties, actually, one of the reasons this question has come up, is that it is really difficult to know when to step in because sometimes things are phrased in such a way that if you if you step in, someone who is saying it could could respond, oh well, I didn't mean it that way, and actually that doesn't lead to a positive outcome either because then the behaviour usually persists. I think it's probably better to err on the side of caution and actually say something. And you don't have to jump in all guns blazing. You could say, you know, listen, I, I, it sounds like there's a you're a bit frustrated with what happened here, but I'm not sure it's appropriate to be discussing that person. You know, if you've got a problem with that person, perhaps go and have a word with them. And that way we can we can ensure that this doesn't happen again, rather than talking about it when they're not here, because I don't think that's going to I don't think that's going to resolve the situation. That would be my approach if if that line into into kind of misogyny, racism, or, or kind of, you know, criticism of protected characteristics started to be involved. If those things start to be involved, I would generally jump in in a much firmer way and say, look, that's not appropriate. This isn't about whether a person is a, is a man or a woman. It's not about their ethnicity. Uh, it's not about their sexuality. This is not an appropriate thing to be doing. If you if you have a concern about what someone is doing, let's focus on that. But it's not about the characteristic that you mentioned. When we did the series on podcasts about racism, and it was one about speaking up, they were suggesting that actually uh, a really non-confrontational way of doing it was just say, what do you mean by that? Mm. (laughs) So actually get them to, if if they're making little snidey comments that could be taken either way, just challenging saying, what did you mean by that? That's a sort of little bit of a warning red flag saying, you know, I've noticed that that's not quite right. And then they get the opportunity to backtrack and go, oh, actually, I I, I didn't quite, I didn't mean that. They kept, that came out badly. No, I'm not trying to say that. And then they've, they've caught themselves and they've, they've stopped themselves. And I, I quite like that because I guess what you're trying to avoid is 
and I think this is very difficult to do, is, is making that person feel shame. Then nothing actually changes, which is what we're looking for here. We're looking for a positive outcome or a positive improvement in whatever the situation is. So I have a, when I'm talking to patients, for example, I have a kind of a four-step process. And I, I suppose you can translate that directly to working with staff. So the first one I would say, well, I'm not sure the relevance of that comment. Can you explain? The second, I feel uncomfortable with that word or phrase or statement. Let's focus on the, the issue in hand. Then you can escalate it further to, I don't accept the use of that term. Let's move on to the issue regarding and then for that type of statement or phrase or comment is not acceptable here, uh, regardless of your reasons, we have a zero tolerance policy uh, about that kind of language. So what you're doing is you are, it, it gives you a way in because people often, one of the, it's easier for many people to not act unless they've had the training on how to act and how to confront a situation that is not that doesn't feel okay. And I think having a stepwise approach works very well. It tends to allow you to enter a, perhaps a, a less confrontational level if that's needed so that you're not triggering that shame and defensiveness in someone else so that then it's not uh, a problem that is pushed away or, it, you know, it, it's it brought into the open and dealt with because sometimes people will use expressions because either they think they're the correct expression or they don't know. And I think giving them a chance to explain is sometimes helpful. I don't think it's helpful all the time, but I think it's sometimes helpful as a as an initial statement. And I love that. I love that 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 stepping it up. So you've got your sort of warning phrase, and then and then it goes up and up and up and up. What if it's not about a protected characteristic? So you can't be you know. So, so that isn't a problem. But it is just general bitching about somebody. You know, just mm. you you know the and it's low low-grade bitching you know oh, she didn't come to work again today or they didn't do this and all oh, they always do this and of course they are and you know it just it's all implied mm. not actually said you know we we've all been there and you'll sit there sat there you're feeling more and more uncomfortable and you think I need to say something I just don't know what to say would you take that same approach I might start a little softer and say you know it sounds like you've really noticed that this is an issue how long, how long has that been going on for? You know, what what's led, why might that be? What might have caused that person to behave that way? So what you're doing is you're trying to encourage the person to think how the other may be feeling and how that might have, how that person may have come to that decision. And sometimes there is no rational reason as to why someone else is behaving in a certain way that you can discern. But I think encouraging that exercise in others helps because it allows you to avoid almost tribalism or in-group out-group phenomena where you know everyone's like oh we're the we're team a and the others they're team b and we can just you know backbite about them and make comments about them and, and actually what you're doing is if you're in an organization it makes a lot more sense for everyone in your organization to be heard so by asking someone and engaging with them and saying why do you think that's happening how can we make this feel better uh, how might you feel if someone was talking about you in this way? Because we all know that we're not perfect. Um, encourages your organisation to function better. And if your organisation functions better, the employees will be happier. Because if there's a lot of backbiting going on, to me, it's almost a symptom of discontent. Because backbiting doesn't happen in organisations where everyone is happy and fulfilled and listened to and 
communication is authentic because you're almost given permission to go up to someone and say, look, I'm a bit frustrated with that email that you sent. I, I don't like it. I feel it was a, kind of aimed at me. Am I reading the situation wrong or have I got it right? And, and, and if that kind of conversation is permitted, your organisation will function better and it will grow. Um, otherwise, you'll be stuck with people who are unhappy, who, to some extent, it, and it kind of goes back to that auto-suggestion theories of, of kind of the, like the 1920s and 30s, where constantly saying, oh, I'm in an organisation that doesn't listen to me, and oh, that person's useless and rubbish, tends to make you almost become, it activates those negative thinking circuits in the brain and reinforces them rather than reinforcing the positive ones. And so I think approaching it from a, why is this happening? How can we reduce it? What's really going on here? And is this a symptom of a larger problem? Is a really helpful way of course correcting. Mm. And so what you're saying is you sort of look for the the question behind the question. You know, I'm hearing a lot about this and almost every podcast I people I interview it's all about actually what's behind that what's actually going behind what they're what they're saying you know why is why is this an issue for them and I I was just about to ask you know is it is it good just to the minor stuff just to ignore it and sweep it under the carpet but then as I was thinking that and you said this whole thing about auto-suggestion I think that's a really important thing to remember that if you've sat and you've listened to half an hour of someone bitching about somebody else even if you don't agree and you're trying not to take it on board, then the next time you see that person, you, your brain's almost been programmed to so, notice the negative and to notice the bad yeah. stuff. So actually, it is quite dangerous. No one wants to work in an organisation where everyone is miserable and, and talking about other colleagues, because if you witness that behaviour, if you're feeling low that day or you've made a mistake, the first thing that you may assume is now they're going to be talking about me because I've seen them do it about other people. Um, on the flip side, people don't want to work in an organisation where everything you say is picked up and acted on and, you know, almost therapised into a, why do you feel that way? How does that... It, and so I think some of the minor stuff where people might say things as a one-off or they might just make a comment, I think sometimes you can just let it go if it's if it's okay to do that. Again, I would put that caveat in about protected characteristics. So I think, you know, if someone says something once and... It's an off-the-cuff remark. I might just let it go, but I might approach it in terms of, how are you doing? Are you all right? How's your day going? Just to kind of almost, so I'm not, what I'm not doing is I'm not policing what they're saying. I'm more concerned by what's going on for them because in my, in my opinion, everything that you think and say and, and commit out there into the world is being driven by a thought process. Um, and, and it just interests me from a people perspective. How did you reach that thought? You know, are you okay? Or is this a symptom of actually something much, much bigger? Because we know that, you know, one of the signs of, of burnout is that people start, you know, projecting this sort of discontent of their current role out into the open. And it's almost like the, the, the first few signs that there may be something going on. So if you're in a position where you are seeing an employee do that, a colleague do that, then just check in on them and see if they're okay. And I think that's just about being a, a kind human. It's not about being a boss or an employee. It's just about being a human to me. Yeah, <laughs> that's interesting you made that point. I was once working somewhere and that we had this assistant, let's call her Sarah. Sarah, how are you doing today? And she went, oh, well, 
it's dreadful, she said, Rachel, but I guess you can't polish a turd, can you? <laughs> I thought, okay, you're not happy here, are you? <laughs> she left in a couple of weeks later. Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting how different people's perspectives can be, but there can just be those people. And this person was someone like that. Nothing was ever right. No. She just constantly bitched about other people. Nobody could do anything, even though it was a really lovely place to work. And what do you do about that That sort of pe- person? Do you just sort of change the subject whenever they start talking? Do you try and respond with humour? Do you just ignore them? I suppose I would look at it a, a, a slightly different way, and I would say what's, what's going to be the outcome if that type of communication and interaction keeps going? If there is going to be no negative outcome to that, if, if, if that's just the type of person they are and their interaction with others is, you know, where, where, they're, where they're saying these kind of things isn't really going to have an impact, then it, it's not my job to change people. My, my job in, in an organisation or, a, a, say, an employee or a colleague is to try and make that organisation work as well as it can do. And so if it's not having a direct impact, I think... I would let it. If it is having a direct impact, then I would I would take that first step and I'd say, look, you know, is everything okay? Is there is there something going on here? And and then almost play it by ear, really. I, I suppose that the the subtext of your question is that there are always going to be people who approach the world through a negative lens, and that's how they interact with people, and that's how they see the world. Is it our job to try and change everyone to be? someone who always sees the glass half full? No, but it is sometimes our job to mediate between those two different viewpoints of the world if we're, if we're faced with a, with a situation that is, that is harming the environment in which we work. I get it. You'll push for time. And with over 200 episodes, how do you know which is going to be the one that lifts you out of the saucepan and back to thriving at work? Never fear, the You Are Not A Frog podcast quiz is here. Find out if you're a super squirrel, brilliant badger or mighty mole and I'll send you a personalised playlist with the top five episodes that will make the biggest difference to you. Discover your top of the hops, top five episodes, sorry, and leap into your happiest thriving self again. Just go to youarenotafrog.com slash quiz. Yeah, I guess with this particular person, I'm thinking, well, she was pretty harmless. But actually, it wasn't harmless because we we stopped asking her to do things because of the reaction that we'd yeah. get, you yeah. know. And then the, the work got dumped on the person who was really lovely and friendly, and you know, would always say, would always say yes. So, you know, maybe it was a strategy for her to sort of keep the work at bay. But, but but people do that. That is that is a recognised strategy that people who want to either either directly avoid work or end up avoiding work will employ i think we talked about this in the in the time management episode where people will avoid asking people to do things where they are going to be met with negativity or where there's going to be anger or whether there's going to be you know passive aggression because those feelings don't make us feel good so we will avoid those and the, and the consequence of that is that people who aren't responding in that way will tend to disproportionately end up doing a bigger volume of work now it could be that the person who is who is being aggressive or angry or being perceived that way when asked to do something, maybe they're better off having their interaction regulated in a way that they prefer 
and actually you create more time for the person who is going to be asked to do stuff so that there is that balancing out of of responsibility the big problem seems to come when the nice person almost gets used up because they're not given time to do things or time to you know reset because actually they're not they're not responding negatively or or confrontationally to requests for things though the request could be inappropriate but that's kind of a separate discussion really i think Mm. that's why it's so so important that we if we're running organizations or managing or leading that we we get this right in terms of calling out the behavior that that is unhelpful because we have another question here which is we've already talked about a little bit you know but if you have got colleagues of staff who are seeing the glass half empty all the time how do we encourage them to be more positive and to actually have some vision that's an interesting one philosophically in terms of again should we be making everyone see the world the way that we do and i suppose really the answer is is a person able to do what they need to do with the viewpoint that they have or actually does their viewpoint limit what they can do and i think that you know those sort of 1980s kind of ideas of uh, mission statements for companies that started to creep in was a way of trying to address this problem so that everyone had the same goal and the same drive the, the problem is that everyone doesn't have the same goal and the same drive people have people are individual they have their own ideas as to what works for them and what doesn't work for them and why they do certain things so i i think it's not really about people seeing the glass full but it's about engaging that person to do what they need to do because of something that's important to them so let's say you've got an employee who uh, sees the glass half full, doesn't know why they're doing something, find a way to either explain why they're doing something or what it might mean for them or the, or the larger system, because they may not know and that's why they feel frustrated, or they may actually have a better way of doing it and they're seeing the glass as half full because they're almost being micromanaged into a way of doing something that doesn't fit. So I think, again, it's a, it's about delving a little bit deeper as to why someone feels the way they do and is it something that needs to change if so well let's move that in let's give let's give a person a bit more control to try to find that glass full aspect of things it's a bit like the mary poppins thing isn't it it's the find the fun in the task and i know that sounds a little bit trite but it's kind of well why are you doing something how can i how can we engage you positively because i know if we engage you positively you're more likely to enjoy work. You're more likely to get the task done on time. You're more likely to have a sense of achievement if the task is done. And you're more likely to be loyal to the to the organization. So how do we, you know, trigger those those feelings in you? The way we trigger those feelings in you is to find out why doing something is important and relating that to your own personal um, circumstances. Mm, what makes you tick? I mean, I think there's lots of different reasons why people might be really negative and glass half empty. And I think you've already mentioned one and that's somebody who's burning out and is really mm. stressed. And I said, no, from my own experience, you know, the more stressed I get, the more negative I get. And especially on Sunday evenings, it tends to be, it's like my husband Absolutely. refuses to have deep, meaningful discussions with me on a Sunday evening. He just sticks me in front of a comedy. That's generally the best thing to do. So I have a friend, right? And he's a Myers-Briggs INTP. And I have learned over the years that whenever I sh share an idea with him, He's programmed to look for the negative and yes. look for the, the the things that might go wrong and the problems. And so often I've shared something with him. He's been quite negative about it. And then the next week 
he says, ah, so what about that thing you told me about? I'm like, well, you said it was a load of rubbish. He said, no, I didn't. It's just the way he initially responds. And actually having somebody like that can be incredibly helpful in an organization because they, they spot yeah. the problems, they spot the issues, they, they call it out. What you've got to realize is they just need a little bit of time and then they'll start to see the positive. So sometimes it is just the way that their, their brain ticks. And actually to use that, it, it's actually really, really helpful. Okay, that person's being noted. We, rather than writing them off as they're just a negative person. It's actually what value do they bring to this, this mm. decision that we're making? That's really, really important. So there's something about personality. I think what you said about being the wrong fit for the job as well. I think, you know, I know that when I was in roles that didn't suit me, that weren't playing to my strength, it made me incredibly negative wow. and, it, and that goes in with the stress and the burnouts or whatever. So often if you just find out what it is like again the question behind the question what is it that's making you feel like that and if we can um craft your job role to actually get you doing more of the things that that bring you joy and that you really are very good at then maybe some of that negativity will be stopping but i was talking to a gp the other day and and you know one of his partners was incredibly negative and this this guy i was speaking to was the managing partner and he just basically stopped interacting or running any management decisions past the other partner because of the barrage of negativity that they got and the relationship had become so dysfunctional and I thought isn't that a shame that that it hasn't been addressed by then so it's one thing being able to address it on an employee employer basis but what happens when it's a colleague or even maybe your your boss or you know if you're a portfolio doctor or you've got a salaried role and you're talking to the boss or your manager or a partner is there anything you can do? Well, there are two things that spring to mind, actually. And one of the things that kind of lit up in my brain when you mentioned about the initial critical response is that there's a really well-known book in kind of management and, and arenas called Six Thinking Hats by Edward de Bono. And, you know, that person's a very typical black hat thinker where he's thinking of the critical issues. And one of the one of the exercises in that book is to consider viewing things from a how do we make this work? What are the problems in it? What are the challenges? How do we overcome things? How do we be creative? All of these, you're almost forced to take a different perceptual position to understand it. And, and what it does is it is it allows people to view things from an alternative perspective. So that if you're not a naturally critical person, you recognize that someone may have critical thoughts about an idea that you have, but actually it doesn't mean they think the idea is rubbish. They're just programmed to find the, the flaws. And actually what they're doing is they're telling you the ways that you can make your product or, or thing better. They're actually helping you before you do it rather than, you know, get the feedback afterwards to find it hasn't worked. But it, it, it does require a little bit of sitting with some discomfort to take that on board. I mean, I'm, I'm a very, I, I'm a little bit like a Labrador that wants to go and run out and play in traffic. I'm a bit like, oh, what about, what about this? What about that? What about that? My, my, my partner's always kind of, you know, just, she's like, can you just kind of focus on one thing? Can you just get that done? And I need someone who does that because, you know, I need that, that, that little bit of direction to say, actually, this is what you're focusing on now. Let's get this done. Um, let's just separate out the distraction a little bit. And I think having having different viewpoints works really well. So it's, it's, I guess it's recognising different people's strengths and, and, then, and then where they're coming from. 
But we're still back to the point that, you know, sometimes there just are people that are bitching, that are negative and you're or even maybe racist or bullying or something. And you're sat there feeling really, really uncomfortable. And, you know, to not say anything that really conflicts with your values because it feels like you're colluding. At the beginning, you said it's really important to have a, a strategy for that. What can people do to get themselves a strategy for what they're going to do next time that that happens? So I think what I would do is have a have a series of phrases that you can go to that you have almost dry run to see how they feel, to see what they feel like in your words, because if they sound like someone else's words, they have less impact. Have a have a sequence of things that you can say. I think the first thing to to do is to, if someone is saying something that, that triggers that sense of discomfort in you, is to say something, say anything, cough, you know, make your presence known. Often that's enough just to tell someone actually, you know, this isn't something we should be talking about. If you need to speak up, you know, ask someone to clarify what they mean. Just say, what do you mean by that? And then you can gradually increase the, almost the force behind your words all the way up to that, that that's not okay and you can say i feel that's inappropriate so so one of the techniques in assertiveness training is to use i feel statements so i feel uncomfortable hearing you say that i feel uncomfortable talking about someone when they're not here i feel that actually what you're doing is you're generalizing a little bit i don't think it's it's about this aspect of a person maybe that actually you're you're feeling a bit frustrated because something else is going on so that that's one approach the other approach is to look at it from the perspective of why the person is saying it and and you know just saying something like you're all right everything okay is it is sometimes enough to interrupt that that backbiting comment and to and to turn the attention onto what might be going on for them and that that for some people can if you're a fairly passive type of person and if you're at risk of of saying nothing sometimes asking how a person is doing is one way of of interrupting that that process and restoring a sense of of feeling okay. Mm, I love that because it strikes me, you know, when we teach coaching, we teach the often teach the support challenge model. That in any conversation, if you want someone to move forward, then it's not enough just to be really, really supportive and not challenging because that's yeah. just really cozy. If you're really challenging without being supportive, well, that's really confrontational, and that's where you're going to get the defensiveness, particularly if you add in the judgment. So you're being racist i mean that would be that you know immediately yeah. you're going to get a completely defensive reaction from someone you aren't are. you when people feel shame they become like a, a saber-toothed tiger don't they they just go on the attack if they're feeling shame shame themselves so that's something you really need to try and avoid and it's like what you said earlier using that non-judgmental language to just describing what's happening rather than you're being this you're being that it's just oh i yeah. noticed that. Uh, we're talking about somebody else and they're not here. <laughs> you know, just that, I, I noticed. So so using the non-judgmental stuff, but being really supportive while you do that. So oh, I can see, oh, you must have, be having a really busy day. Are you okay? What can we do to help? And, you know, maybe we should park this conversation and bring it up with, with so-and-so mm. and just ask them what, what was going on. But then I guess we're into the whole realm of, is it your place? to even challenge what would you say to someone who would just say actually it's not my place it's not my place to challenge them. I think it is I think that 
you know part of a part of a part of diversity training particularly in thing in, in organizations such as the nhs would say actually it is your place to to speak out if you hear someone saying something that is negative about a, about a protected characteristic or even just mean or horrible you know because you could get let's take the scenario where someone says something deeply inappropriate about someone else's ethnicity and that person makes a, makes a uh, a complaint to their to their employer and the employer calls in the person who said whatever was said and that person says well ed was there he thought the same thing and sometimes that can even be projected onto he said the same thing even if i didn't mm-hmm. say anything at all and then i'm in a disciplinary for something that i didn't do just by virtue of almost being passed. And I think that, that that's a big problem. So I think even if you're not doing it from a from a moral standpoint, think about it in, in terms of a of a legal standpoint, because you know, there is a very real risk that by not speaking up, A, you know, you're you're really harming the person who's being who's being criticized here. And you're going to find yourself in hot water and what I would say is that it is hard to speak up about things, but the thing that makes it easier is practice. Because if you do it, someone else will do it. And if someone else does it, another person will do it. And then it becomes part of the culture. This isn't about telling people how to think or how to feel. This is about encouraging people that there are ways of saying things that are helpful and there are ways of saying things that are unhelpful. Yeah. And it strikes me that if you can encourage people to say things to someone else's to their face, they're going to say things in a much, much better way anyway, because yeah. you know you automatically do, you know, I, if I was to talk about you behind your back, Ed, which I would never do, but I'd be far ruder about you behind your back. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and one of the big problems in organizations and particularly primary care I have found is the dysfunctions of a team. Patrick Lencioni's five dysfunctions mm, of a team. Yeah. The one of which is fear of conflict, which leads to artificial harmony. So when you're all together in your team, you don't conflict, you don't say what's bothering you. <laughs> and then when you're outside with the other people, you're slagging everyone off left, right and center. So if you can actually up the conflict you have as a team in a good way, so actually Ed, actually, I'm finding the way that you're you're doing that. I'm just finding that bit tricky. Is the way that we can, you know, work this out? And then you've talked about it. You've conflicted. You've probably come to a a good understanding. You don't need to go and bitch about that person mm. behind behind their backs. And then you get the accountability. You get results, and you can generally track poorly performing organisations down through those five dysfunctions and, and end up with, you know lack of conflict which actually the basis of that is lack of trust and psychological yeah. safety which is another entire topic but i think psychological safety underlies the whole of this because it is not a psychologically safe organization if people are bitching about other people and getting away with it yeah just like you said you'll just be thinking oh crumbs if if they're talking about this and i'm here what do they say about me behind my yeah, back absolutely absolutely Great. So I think we're, we're just about out of time, Ed. There's some really useful, helpful tips. If someone's really struggling with this, what would you, is there any sort of good resources you point them towards if they want to sort of get a bit better at doing this about challenging in a, in a supportive way, in a way that's going to be really helpful? There are some resources that I put on my Facebook group so people can have a look at that and I'll, I'll send you the link for that. And I've, I've done some particularly on things like saying no and team dysfunctions and approaching racism and, and other the comments about protected characteristics. Mm. 
there are quite a few sort of books coming out now about, you know, looking at things from other people's perspectives and how you might go about sort of being an ally to other people and, and standing up for them and showing solidarity with that person. Yeah. And we've, we've got some podcasts actually that I think will help. There's the yeah. sort of combating yeah. racism series, particularly the one about how to be more anti-racist. Adam Harrison did one with us about bullying in the workplace. Yes, um, he's excellent with that sort of stuff, isn't he? Yeah, fantastic. Also, that's that Edward de Bono book about, is it called The Six Thinking Hats that you mentioned? Yes. There's The Five Dysfunctions of a Team by Patrick Lencioni. And I would also suggest that people listen to, there's a Wrong and Chatterjee podcast. I think it's called Live Well, Feel Better. And there was a, I was telling you about this earlier, actually. There's a really good one. I think it's called How to Develop Authentic Relationships or Deeper your, Deepen Your Relationships by a couple of people who wrote a book called Connect. And that is all about how to have conversations with people raising difficult issues without triggering them without without making them feel really defensive and I found that really helpful so that might be helpful for people as well there's another book called Radical Candor as well which I think people have found very helpful so there's just a a few things but I think you know if you had sort of one tip to someone to actually just get started with this what what would it be Ed? It would be try you know all of all of the things that we do and when we communicate the first thing we have to do is try to communicate first and then we fashion it into the best way that we can say something but the first thing you have to do is say something yeah try it even if it's just a cough or are you all right yeah that you've raised something brilliant thank you so much ed so we're gonna get Ed back in in another couple of weeks. So if you have any questions about any sort of communication or difficult conversation that you'd like us to talk about or any feedback, then do drop us a line. We'll, we'll put the links in the show notes. So thank you, Ed, and we'll see you soon. Welcome. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please share it with your friends and colleagues. Please subscribe to my You Are Not A Frog email list and subscribe to the podcast. And if you have enjoyed it, then please leave me a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. So keep well, everyone. You're doing a great job. You got this.